Hello and welcome into BTN's Take 10 Podcast. This is Alex Rue of BTN.com, and this is another Buckets Breakdown edition of the Take 10 Podcast where we talk a lot of college hoops and break down the Big Ten in relation to the national picture and, and really focus in on what the Big Ten landscape looks like in college basketball. So I have two guests on this episode to help me do that. One is BTN researcher Harold Shelton. He's a recurring guest that we have on quite a bit to break down the numbers behind Big Ten sports. He's been great and, and uh, does a great job as always coming up here. Sat down with Harold for about 15 minutes to get the diagnosis on, on the Big Ten and, and get some of the numbers behind what we're seeing out on the court as we get into mid-January here and as the season rolls along with about six weeks left until New York City. My other guest is a first-time guest on the show. It's play-by-play man Brandon Godden, who is a play-by-play college basketball announcer, college football announcer for BTN and FS1. He also does some NFL work on the radio with Westwood One. And perhaps his most impressive title is the voice of the Madden video game. So I'm sure that's familiar to a lot of you out there. Madden football video games was a staple of my childhood. And he has been the voice of Madden for, I believe this is his second year now. And he does that alongside Charles Davis of Fox. So before we even talked to College Hoops with Brandon, we got into some discussion about his responsibilities. Being the play-by-play man for Madden, what the responsibility entails, kind of the magnitude of that job, that role. And he actually was uh, just coming out of a recording session for the Madden video game when I caught up with him this afternoon so that was cool to, to uh, get into with him before talking some college hoops and then uh, we kick it over to my discussion with BTN researcher Harold Shelton like I said he'll uh, take an even deeper dive into some of the numbers uh, he gets into what's plaguing his alma mater Michigan State as they come off a, an impressive week and and what is boosting teams like Ohio State Michigan some of the more impressive teams we've seen Purdue as well in the Big Ten so far so before we get to those two segments first couple of reminders please continue to like rate and subscribe to the podcast on apple podcasts google play uh podbean as well and if you're listening on soundcloud right now you can subscribe and and get them automatically downloaded to your device every week so you don't have to go searching for it so if you like the podcast please leave a review as well when you rate it and uh one more reminder before we get into our interviews that we do still have an active coupon code on the btn.com online store that store where you can find all the latest merchandise apparel gear for your favorite big 10 teams and the coupon code at checkout is take 10 that's t-a-k-e all caps one zero and with that take 10 promo code coupon code you can take 10 percent off your order on the btn online store so go to btn.com if you're on your desktop tab will be at the top of your screen if you're on your mobile device scroll down to the bottom and there should be a shop or store tab down there that you can go to the website the online store and take advantage of the 10 percent off promo code t-a-k-e-1-0 all right so with that out of the way let's get to our first interview in this two-part interview episode with btn fs1 and madden's brandon godden Very pleased to be joined by play-by-play sportscaster Brandon Godden. He's the play-by-play man for Westwood One, FS1, BTN for college basketball and football. Does some NFL work as well. And last but not least is the play-by-play voice of the Madden series video games 
follow him on Twitter at Brandon Godden. Brandon, thanks for joining me. How's it going? Absolutely, Alex. I'm doing great, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so I'm, I'm having you on mainly to talk college hoops today. But first, uh, I really want to get into that last responsibility of yours I listed. Because being the voice of Madden, I mean, first off, i got to let you know how cool that is. Because I grew up playing the game nonstop. Don't really play it anymore, but still, like that's crown jewel of sports video games. So before I even ask you what that process is like to be the play-by-play voice of Madden, how'd that opportunity come about in the first place? Yeah, well, I appreciate it. I, I do feel very, very lucky to, to be doing this. I realize what an honor it is. And sometimes in life and all lines of work, but in sports broadcasting in particular, it's right place, right time. And they were having Jim Nance and Phil Sims do the commentary for five years, and they were not going to renew the contract just because they'd been on the game for a while. They were looking to go in a different direction. And so they opened it up to a nationwide search. Now they were doing that internally at EA Sports. I didn't know that they were doing that. So it's not like you could apply. They were looking for people. And one of the producers there had happened to hear my work a couple of years ago. And for whatever reason, my call and, and name stuck with him. And so they reached out to me. Actually, they reached out to me via LinkedIn. And I deleted the first message on LinkedIn thinking it was – I didn't even see it. I thought it was spam. I think it went to my spam folder. And then they reached out to me again saying, hey, there's an opportunity a sports we wanted to talk to you about. And finally I saw it, and I reached out, and they said, hey, we're getting rid of Jim Nance and Phil Sims, and we wanted to bring you in to possibly be our new voice of the video game to audition for it. And I, they made me sign a non-disclosure agreement. Uh, because they didn't want anybody to know who was coming down in the process and what was going on. So I did, and I came down. I, I think I was probably very much a dark horse candidate. I don't know who else they spoke to, um, but I'm sure that I was a dark horse candidate. But I was I was lucky to get the opportunity. I came down and did two different auditions, and thankfully they, they went well enough for them to call. And I'll never forget a couple years ago in the summer when they called and asked me if I wanted to do it full time. And um, that's one of those phone calls that you never forget where you were, what you were doing, what you were wearing, and I uh, could not have said yes quick enough. So uh, I've been doing it for a couple years now, and again, just feel very fortunate to have that opportunity. Yeah, and the current Madden video game is not the Madden of my childhood, where I think the first one I got was Madden 03, and that was, you know, you had the video game, you got it, and, and that was it. The rosters were set pretty much for the entire year, and I think I played all the way up until, you know, maybe not 2009 or 10, and it's kind of fallen off since then. But now they do all kinds of updates, like weekly updates, and you were there. You just got out of a session uh, down in Orlando recording, uh, I, I assume, updating rosters and, and play-by-play, whatever has to go into that whole process. So can you give me a sense of, of what the process is like now and maybe how that's changed from your predecessors? Yeah, it certainly has changed, like you're saying, because all of the consoles now are connected to the Internet. So they can receive those real-time, real-life updates as the season goes. And, you know, my childhood, your childhood, that wasn't really the case. The first Nintendo game I remember playing that was a sports game was Tecmo Super Bowl, and there was no commentary. You heard touchdown, and that was it. I mean, that was the only audio on the game. So it, it's, it's changed so dramatically that now they have the ability to update it. So what they do in season is this week, obviously, I came down on a Wednesday. I'm in Orlando right now, which is where the Madden studio is. But most weeks they like us to come down on Monday and Tuesday. And Mondays are devoted to what happened the past weekend in the NFL. 
So you, you talk about when whoever, when Aaron Rodgers runs out onto the field, if he threw for 400 yards and four touchdowns, they show him running onto the field, and we're recording, and here comes Aaron Rodgers, and Charles Davis is the analyst. And, Charles, he threw for four touchdowns, 400 yards. What another great game by number 12, Aaron Rodgers. And you go through it, you do that for each team and a couple of the key players. And so when, you know, little Tom or Sue plugs in their game on Tuesday afternoon and they go to play a game with the Packers and Aaron Rodgers runs on the field, they're hearing real-life commentary. And it's supposed to feel them, you know, make it make it feel more real-life like they're truly immersed in what's going on and like we are talking to what they're doing on the screen. So today we recorded what happened in the divisional round, and we took all the players that were involved, the key players from, from Roethlisberger to Mariota, Brady and just recorded quick lines and then after that line plays though it goes right back into the you know commentary that we've recorded for the last couple of years that's just basic commentary that's evergreen that can play wherever but the thought is you kind of trick the user so you you sneak in occasionally those fresh lines and hope that they feel like everything is fresh when in reality only probably you know five percent of the commentary is living on the game that week so that's that's kind of how it's done what's interesting this week is that because of my btn schedule next week i cannot make it down here so we fake recorded lines for next week as if we know what is going to happen we recorded scenarios for every super bowl combination and we recorded a close game a blowout so we have one that says oh the patriots here they are tom brady making his eighth straight super bowl start and he did it in convincing fashion and they will only play that if the patriots win convincing this week and are in the super bowl so we had to we had to be a little bit more creative this week because of my btn schedule next week yeah, that's the whole process is really interesting, fascinating for me. And with all that work to be done, is this a year-round gig now, or is it you get a, a break from, in the spring and, and leading up to the summer when I'm, I assume things kick into high gear again? Yeah, so the, the downtime is really June and July. The game launches at the end of August, but they need us to really be done with a bulk of everything by the beginning of June so that they can get the game all on disc and get everything ready to ship. Um, but it's pretty consistent throughout the other months. Now, they're, they're great. They work with me and Charles, as I said, he's a, he's the analyst on the number two Fox NFL team with Kevin Burkhart behind uh, Buck and Aikman. So his schedule is pretty crazy too, and they work with us. So some weeks we may come in when it's not in the NFL season. We may come in on a Friday. Next week we may come in on a Wednesday and a Thursday. So they work around our schedules, and it's pretty consistent that we're down here most weeks. I mean, Delta Airlines is my main friend. I, I pretty much know every sky flight. Miles. Yeah, right. I know every <laughs> flight attendant on that Delta to Orlando trek and back. Um, and then, yeah, but June and July are the down months. But what people don't realize who play the game is sometimes – you know, the the game is recording it's it's taking commentary that is recorded over different months. So when when a line plays, you're probably hearing five different lines that were played that were recorded in different months. So if if Tom Brady's out there and I and you're hearing while you're playing the game, it's third and ten. Tom Brady out of the gun. He drops to pass, looks to the right, throws, and it's caught by Gronkowski and he's tackled at the thirty two. Everywhere that I pause there is a different line recorded on a different day or week or even a month, and then it's stitched together by guys that are a lot smarter than me who make that software stitch and those lines fire back to back to back to back. And the hope is that the user thinks, 
oh, just like a real broadcast, that was requ- you know all recorded together, when in actuality those are really short three-second lines that are recorded on, on separate days or months or weeks or whatever the case may be. Right, and I've heard from other voice actors tell their stories, especially in similar situations with uh, sports video games and, and the type of thing you do, that it's a grueling process and that when you that this was probably in the olden days of video games when it was kind of all, all done in over a few weeks and you had to do hours at a time. So what's the process like now, one, compared to you know what was maybe a grueling process jammed into a couple weeks or months, and is it is it hard reading off a script, getting used to, you know, forming those those sentences and making it sound natural? Because I even when I'm recording stuff for this podcast, I can barely read stuff I've written out without screwing up and starting over. So how did you have to get used to that, and how has it changed from, uh, you know, the, the golden era of, of those Madden video games a long time ago? Yeah, so it is. They did. You're right. They used to jam it all in two weeks, but we are recording so much more commentary that it's kind of like we are doing the same process that they used to do, but we are just adding so many more days and hours of content. Oh to wow! It. Uh, so there is when so we have solo days where I'm in there by myself, and then we have two man days where it's Charles and I, and they want all of the stuff with Charles and I to be together so that it sounds natural like we're in a booth and we develop that chemistry. The days where I'm in there solo, you know, one day I will do quarterback drops, like I said. Here's Brady on third and ten. Here's Roethlisberger on third and ten. Here's Bortles on third and ten. Here's Brady on fourth and seven. So you you do have a lot of that what they call phone book type reading where you're just saying the same thing pretty much over and over and over. But there's a producer and an engineer that are on the other side of the glass with me that if I say something that sounds wonky or my voice is getting fatigued, you know, they'll they'll check mark that line and we'll go back and re-record it. The the other thing that is interesting is that if I have any remits or any hint of a cold or I'm nasally, I, I can't record because, like I said, those lines fire back to back to back from totally different time frames that they were recorded. So you can't have one line sound like I have a frog in my throat and the next one like a cold and the next one normal. It just won't work. So, you know, knock on wood, we haven't really had that issue. But if Charles or I have any feelings of being under the weather, you just you can't record at all because it's going to screw the entire recording process up. Right. You mentioned several times your partner, Charles Davis, who's really highly respected as a broadcaster, does a great job. I, I love watching his games on Fox alongside Burkhart. But you and Charles, you know, you guys had to follow guys like Al Michaels, uh, Gus Johnson, John Madden, and uh, Chris Collinsworth, really, really well-known, established guys that had done it, done real broadcasting for years and years, and you're, you know, relatively young, and Charles was relatively unknown before he rose to the ranks. So what's the pressure been for you guys? How, how have you handled that expectation of taking on such a uh, well-known franchise? Yeah, I think initially it was kind of a very daunting task, right? And I, we knew, I mean, it's Charles's has been around the block and at a much higher level than right. I have. So for me, even more so, I think I realized the responsibility right when I went down there to audition. Because like you, I played the game. So I knew all those names, I you know, and I'm in the broadcasting profession. That's why I said I knew what an honor it was and how lucky I am to have this gig. Uh, and when the game first came out, sure, I, I mean, I knew what was going to happen. I'm not an idiot. People are like, wait, who? 
we, we Jim Nance to, to who? To Brandon Gordon. So, and yeah, cer- certainly there is some of that. The good news for us is because we're doing such a, a higher volume of recording that it was really unfortunate for guys like Nance, Nance and Sims because they had a decent amount of recording built up over five years, but they didn't have the time and studio that Charles and I do. So just by having more lines in the game, things are fresher, regardless of who's recording the commentary. Now, I will say one one thing that can be frustrating is people assume that how you sound in the game is how you actually broadcast a real game. And so if people have not heard me call a real game, and they're only going off of what is in Madden, they just they have this assumption that they sound the same, and they really don't. You're never going to be able to fully re- – we're trying hard, but you're never going to be able to fully recreate what a real game sounds like on a video game because everything is recorded in those short intervals. So people will say, oh, you know, why, why was your voice up there and down on the next line? Well, like, <laughs> I'm sorry. I was in Atlanta in my apartment at the time, and you, <laughs> you were playing a game with lines recorded on different days. So you can't perfect everything. Uh, but we're trying to get better and better with that. Gotcha. Well, that's that's all really interesting. Like I said to me, fascinating, just because it's such a iconic game and, and you know obviously a huge opportunity and, and privilege for you to get to do that. So that's awesome. Keep up the good work. Um, but I did have you on to talk some college hoops as well because that's your your other gig that you do this time of year, and we see you on the BTN airwaves quite a bit. So let's talk some college hoops. Um, First of all, just give me a sense of, because, you know, I, I watch most of the games and I, I see you quite a bit. Give me a sense of how many games you call per week or per season. What's the workload like for BTN or FS1? Yeah, it's two, it's two to three, and my increased workload with BTN this year has made the FS1 stuff go down, which has been great because I'm, and I'm not just saying this because I'm talking to you. You know, I've, I've told all those guys at BTN this. I just, I love the conference. I grew up in the conference. I grew up in Indiana. So it feels like home to me when I go to a lot of these venues and call these games. I'm calling, I would say, probably two and a half games per week right now. Um, I've got two this week, and then I've got three next week. So it kind of bounces between two and three, usually a midweek game and a weekend game. And, you know, I, I love it. People people say, gosh, you're with the Madden thing and the games, you're on the road a lot, aren't you? Well, yeah, I am, but I don't have a wife. I don't have kids. I'm at a stage in my life in my early to mid-30s where I don't feel like I need to be tied down to anything. So the fact that I'm on all these airplanes and staying in hotels you know, to me, being able to do these games and, and do it for BTN and, and the other places that I do is, is truly an honor. So uh, it, it's been great. This is my second year doing it for BTN. Uh, and like I said, having grown up in Indiana, it's like the Big, the big Ten was that, – that's all I grew up knowing. I mean, I grew up when Bobby Knight was a legend in Indiana, and we, we had a house divided. I had – couple of siblings that went to Purdue or one that went to Purdue, a couple that went to Indiana. And so it just it just kind of feels right. It feels like I'm back in my wheelhouse. So, yeah, you mentioned Purdue and their team that might come up in uh, your answer. My next question here, because of all the games you've called so far about halfway through the season, like we are uh, we're at right now. Give me a give me a couple of either players, teams or performances that have stood out to you so far from what you've seen. Well, certainly Purdue, as everyone is finding out, is the team that has really, really stood out. And the obvious reason why is they've got four seniors. But I think Carson Edwards gets overlooked a little bit. The sophomore in the starting lineup, he is just excellent. Kind of kicks it into a different gear to help initiate some offense. And then coming off the bench, Matt Harms. I mean, to have a 
a seven-foot youngster like that, a redshirt freshman, that not only blocks all those shots, provides the energy, and is a crowd favorite, really gets things going. But they're a dangerous team, and they've got the experience being older. They're smart, and don't also don't underestimate the fact that they like each other. These guys get along really, really well, and they've got a great coach in Matt Painter. So I like Purdue as well as anybody come NCAA tournament time. I mean, the top four, though, Ohio State, Michigan, Michigan State, and then, of course, Purdue, as we talked about, those are four really good teams. And there's a lot of talk about the Big Ten being down. And great. Top to bottom, look, I, I, I think that, yes, there are some teams that are struggling a little bit, especially with, like, a Minnesota being down a little bit, Indiana rebuilding, a Northwestern not having the year that we thought they would have. But those top four, those are four really, really good teams. And the biggest surprise out of the group is Ohio State and what Chris Holtman has been able to do in his first season since coming over from Butler. And I just had them this past weekend at Rutgers and just really, really impressed with Kata Bates-Diop. You asked about individual players. I think Bates-Diop, because of what Purdue or Ohio State has done and him being the leader of that team, has to be at the top of everybody's player of the year list right now. He's been spectacular. He Not only does he average over 20 points a game, but he does it in an unselfish way. I mean, I think there are players around college basketball and even in the Big Ten that to get to that 18-19 point mark, they're putting up a lot of shots. Kata Bates-Diop is unselfish. He's distributing, he's rebounding, and he's scoring when he needs to. I think at times they have to tell him, shoot the basketball. Uh, and so what he's been able to do with Ohio State is incredibly impressive. I'm curious to see them in the next month now that they've got a lot of eyes on them and they're more of the hunter or the hunted rather than the hunter. I'm curious to see where they go. But but Michigan and Michigan State as well, I mean, those are just four really quality teams, I think, at the top of the league. Yeah, Bates Diop's got my imaginary vote for Big Ten Player of the Year. If I if I had one, I would cast it for him. He's been unbelievable, one of the most uh, efficient players in the Big Ten, as well as leading them in scoring and close to the uh, top of the league in rebounding as well. So he's been fantastic. Um, I'm going to harp on Purdue a little bit more because one thing I notice when I watch games, no matter who's calling them, and ESPN's got a lot of got a lot of uh, Purdue games lately, and they have no reason to pump up the Big Ten, but. Every time I watch a Purdue game, the announcers always are sure to mention the intimidating atmosphere at Purdue and just how loud Mackey Arena is. Can you speak to that a little bit? Because I'm sure it's, you've had the same experience that that place just gets rowdy and deafening when Purdue has it rolling like they have right now. I liked your tweet last Purdue game. You said hashtag student section goals. Wasn't that your tweet? That was my tweet. I'm, I'm, <laughs> thanks for paying attention. <laughs> yeah, I mean, their student section is what starts it. It is massive. I appreciate a school that realizes that there is value in having a big student section rather than selling every ticket at top dollar. See, I, I just to go on a quick tangent, these people are thinking it's a lot of these places, oh, well, let's make the student section smaller so that we can sell more tickets. My reverse argument to that is there is a value that you are not seeing dollar-wise in having your students there that equates to more wins and then on the backside more money for your program and your university. And I think it produces a prime example of that. Those students pack that place. They're loud. The roof is like a tin roof, so the noise just bounces off, reverberates, and it, it gets really, really loud in there. And it's just a cool venue. I mean, you know, in the state of Indiana, I said I grew up there. Indiana was always the big school, and Purdue was always the little brother. But with Indiana, and look, under Tom Crean, they had some great teams. They had the number one team in the country, but they never made it past the Sweet 16. And with Purdue's rise under Painter, especially in recent memory, 
I'm not saying that Purdue has overtaken IU in the state as far as fan base goes because they haven't, but I think you're seeing the Purdue Rabbit fan base really come out, and I think it's there for years to come. And I would say for anybody who's in the vicinity of Mackey Arena or maybe just likes to go on road trips, pick a good Big Ten game and go to Mackey Arena because that, that rivals a lot of other places for the loudest venue in college basketball. Yeah, I've been to one game at Mackey, and it was a, a rowdy game back in 2015, I believe. Uh, Illinois and Purdue were both kind of on the tournament bubble, and it was the last, one of the last regular season games of the, of the that year, and it was an unbelievable atmosphere. And I was just struck by how loud it was in there, like you said. And, and good point about the students because they're on both ends there. It just seems like that. I mean, the student section literally goes on forever to the top of the arena, and I, I like uh, you know someone sticking up for the uh, the little guy, the students, as opposed to the high dollar donors that that usually get their way at arenas like that. That being said, um, Mackey's obviously at the top, near the top of, of the arena rankings in the Big Ten. Are there any others that have really struck you just that set themselves apart? I, I know you're an Indiana guy, so Assembly Hall is another place <laughs> I've been that really gets loud, gets rowdy, and just has a unique uh, configuration that kind of serves it really well there. So uh, which other arenas that really stand out to you in the Big Ten that are, have been uh, extra intimidating and loud? Yeah, I mean, the Chrysler and Breslin in Michigan are pretty darn good. Um, I had a lot of Michigan State games last year. I haven't had one this year, but, man, that's a fun place to call a game. And I've got, I've had one and I have another one coming up at Breslin that, that's very, very good. Um, one that's underrated is Nebraska. I mean, they, they get a lot of fans there. And I don't think that people realize that. And that place gets loud. They they can get up to 15,000 in there, and they do that frequently, and it gets loud. That's a, that's a football school. There's no doubt about it. But I think it's an underrated basketball venue as well. And they, they're an interesting team this year. I, I'm curious. As I said, I was curious to see what Ohio State does the next month. Really curious to see what Nebraska does. They've had some games where I'm like, yeah, this could be an NCAA tournament team. And they've had a couple where I'm thinking, eh, I'm not so sure. So I'm curious about them. But anyways, that's an underrated venue. Yeah, because being from Indiana, I mean, there's something about walking into Assembly, Assembly Hall in Bloomington. And maybe it's the lore of my childhood, but it's just it's such a unique place. And it's such a cool place to see a game. And you think of all the history and tradition. And although they haven't had one in a while, the banners are still intimidating hanging up there in the rafters. Uh, so that would definitely be near the top as well. And then I think uh, one other one I would mention, when they're rolling and they're struggling now with their injuries, but Maryland is a, a heck of a place to watch a game. And since they're new to the conference, a lot of the fans may not be aware of that. But you go to a game there in, in College Park, and that's a that's a heck of an environment. Yeah, it's so steep there in, in Maryland. And uh, I'm glad you mentioned Nebraska because I've never been to a game there. But I was pretty struck by – I walked around the arena – outside that Pinnacle Bank Arena and that Haymarket District in Nebraska. And I was struck just by how nice the setup is. It's, it's every college sports fans, you know, what, anything you could want out of a just arena setup. There's nice restaurants. There's a nice bridge around there. It's a elite, you know, NBA-type arena, really, um, at Nebraska. It's, it's a cool spot. Um, moving on past the arena talk, uh, I want to get to some actual hoops talk, get back to some actual hoops talk, that is. And... I want to get to a kind of look at it from a larger scale, big picture wise, because this year I think you know the Big Ten's been knocked a little bit for having a, a down year as, in relation to to recent years, and they have four teams in the top 25 right now, which is up from two they've had most of the season with Michigan State and Purdue, 
Michigan and Ohio State have snuck in. But I think, you know, with, with having such few top 25 teams, it kind of creates fewer opportunities for the rest of the conference. You talked about a Maryland and Nebraska trying to pull themselves up, themselves up and, and get an NCAA tournament bid. I think the league kind of cannibalized itself a little bit with the middle of the pack. So why do you think it is that the Big Ten is down a little bit this year, and how do they get to maybe where the Big 12 and the ACC are right now with six or more ranked teams in that top 25? Well, I think it's inevitably going to be cyclical, right? I mean, there's been so many years where people have said the Big Ten was the top conference, or if not the top, the second. And, look, it's it's still in that top five discussion. There's there's absolutely no doubt. I think that's always going to be the case. So I think I just think that the talk of the Big Ten being down is being overblown some. Is it down again? Yes. I'm not going to try to, to sit here and say that it's the best year the Big Ten has ever had. I just don't think it's – nearly as down as people are saying those top four teams at last check that you're talking about they're all in the top 20 of the Ken Palm ratings yep. and, and I think that that's going to continue to be the case as we go along here you're going to see how good those teams are but you brought up a good point there's a lot of cannibalization that goes on once you hit in conference play and that's why for a team like a Nebraska or a Penn State those out-of-conference games, you need to sneak a couple against another Power 5 team that maybe you weren't supposed to beat. You need to win one or two of those so that when you go 8-10 and 10 in the league or 9-9, nine and nine, that's good enough to push you into the NCAA tournament. You know, like Penn State's loss against Ryder, last-second loss at home, that's just a heartbreaking loss. I'm not saying Ryder, you know, didn't deserve that game or, or that Penn State should win that 100 times out of 100, but those are the games that those middle-of-the-pack teams if they start to lose those, it's like, oh, when they get the conference play, what is the down year for the Big Ten? Again, I'm not sure that it's nearly as drastic as some people are making it out to be. I, I think it's still top, top to bottom really good league. But, again, if you focus on those top four, it's a very, very good league. Yeah, you make a good point about the, you know, the, the criticism being overblown. Because you look at the bottom of the Big Ten, I think the bottom – Four teams, bottom six teams are much stronger than recent years. Even when the Big Ten had, you know, six, seven ranked teams as recently as a couple years ago, I don't think the bottom was nearly as good. And I think the new coaches that are still kind of getting their footing, Steve Peichel, Brad Underwood, Archie Miller, will see it pay off down the road. And even though those teams are near the bottom of the Big Ten now, I think the league will be better off for it in a couple of years. And it is a young league, and I think it will catch up to Big 12 and, and ACC and even the SEC as soon as next year. Yeah, I can guarantee you one thing. I know you're an Illinois guy. Illinois being 0-6 in the conference, they're the best winless conference team in the nation. I can guarantee you that. I mean, they, they have been on the wrong side of a lot of close games. And Brad Underwood, everybody's saying this, so this isn't some original thought, but Brad Underwood is a really good coach. And I think – you give him a couple years there, and the players are really responding well to him. I think you give him a couple years there. Illinois could really be a force to be reckoned with, and I'm sure that that's music to your ears. Yeah, it's hard for Illinois fans to, to hear you know, that, that they're the dangerous team over and over again because the results have been so heartbreaking. But, but you're right on about Underwood being a very good coach, and I think you know, that's, that's kind of the, the way Illinois fans are going to look at it. Like, yeah, it sucks right now. Nothing seems to be going right. Nothing's going your way. You've lost all these close games, but I think it's there's no need to panic. Just take a step back, see the big picture. You've got a good coach, and, and you know if they're they're still dropping these games next year and beyond, then maybe get worried a little bit. But 
I don't see any reason to, to panic right now. Um, we'll, we'll talk about a little, a little more hoops before we wrap up here. And I want to get your thoughts on which team has surprised you most. Because I think Ohio State and Michigan are undoubtedly the surprise teams. Probably Ohio State a little more than Michigan. And there have been some disappointing teams as well. So you could go either good or bad here. Which team or teams in the Big Ten have surprised you most this year and have caused you to raise your eyebrows a little bit? So Ohio State is definitely number one, as we talked about. Purdue has surprised me with their consistency. I thought that they would be better. I mean, people thought they were going to be good. Uh, And I I thought that they were maybe going to be a little bit better than most people thought. I didn't see them necessarily winning 14 games in a row like they have and starting Big Ten play 7-0 so convincingly. I mean, they've just done it so convincingly. So Purdue is not a surprise that they're having success. I guess it's a surprise at how they've done it and how consistent they've been in that success. The, the everyone is discussing the teams that are they're surprised or a little down. It's weird to see Wisconsin at two and four, nine and ten overall because what they've been to nineteen straight NCAA tournaments. Yep. And you you just assume every year. Well, it may not be a great Wisconsin team, but they're going to sneak in and get a you know a six, seven, or eight seed and win a game, maybe two, because they're Wisconsin. And that looks like that streak is obviously in serious jeopardy, even with having Ethan Happ. Now they weren't helped by some injuries there early, um, but that that that's a little bit of a surprise to me. Minnesota, because of their injuries, those that three game losing streak and how they got out rebounded so badly in those games without Reggie Lynch and without Amir Coffee. Um, that was that was really telling to me. I knew that they would struggle without those guys, obviously, two of their stars, but the way that they struggled surprised me. So what they do in these next three games is going to really show whether or not they have a potential uh, to, for the postseason. They did have a great win at Penn State. I had that game, and although it went to overtime, that was a game that Minnesota really handled for most of it. Um, and then I think – I think Northwestern has been a little disappointing, right? I think most people are pointing to them. Again, injury bug has not been friendly to a lot of these teams we're talking about, but that's kind of what you battle through sometimes. Occasionally you have guys that get hurt, and and, and people are using the term that I used earlier for Northwestern. Well, they, they're used to being the hunter, and now they're the hunted a little bit. I'm not so sure that that's really the case just because they made the NCAA tournament that now everyone's hunting Northwestern. Um, but I did think at this point that they would be more in the five, six loss range, maybe four versus eight and two and four in the league. So I'm not completely down on Northwestern, but some of the losses that they've had and by the margin that they've had those losses has been a bit surprising to me. Yeah, I think that whole situation with just playing at Allstate Arena in Rosemont, 45 minute drive really from, from your campus with traffic, it's just, you know, it takes a lot out of a team. Not to make too many excuses, but when you have pretty much an entire season played in a neutral site, like to, to make a comparison, Illinois had a down year, even compared to this year, uh, a couple of years ago, and they had to play just their first five games in Springfield, Illinois, which was 90 miles away, and they played terribly in Springfield. Like the atmosphere was different, and it, it just wasn't the same, and no one could really get their shot right, and no one, and the season just got off to a horrible start, and it kind of snowballed. So. You can't really compare those two teams on an even on an even level, but I can see how a neutral site would really negatively impact impact a team. Yeah, no, you're exactly right. That's a really good point. I had a lot of DePaul games last year for FS1 in that arena, and now they've moved into their new arena downtown Chicago, and 
I mean, it was just a ghost town. And now, look, Northwestern is at a better place right now than DePaul. But the fans also, as you said, have not trickled out there like maybe they had hoped for these Northwestern games. And it is an arena that is, as you know, Albio Hare and Rosemont, middle of nowhere. It's not a great place to watch a game. It's very stale. It just has this feeling when you walk in there that it's not a good home court advantage. And as much as people want to say, oh, well, people just hop on the train and go out there. Yeah, but I'm sorry, 7 p.m. tip on a Wednesday, you get off work, it's cold, you're not going to commute a lot of the time that, that hour train ride there and back uh, to watch that game. So I, I think you're right. Once they get back on campus, Welsh Ryan, and get that place renovated and rocking, that'll be a huge, huge asset. Yeah, that's going to be a huge shot in the arm. I know Dave Revson, someone asked him, uh, I think yesterday or the day before on Twitter, what's wrong with Northwestern? And he said he's not sure they can get turned around this year, but that new arena will give him a huge shot in the arm because that Welsh Ryan, it, it gets loud, it gets hype. It's kind of a sneaky, you know, sleeper when, when you talk about Big Ten arenas that can be intimidating. It's, it's such a small venue and cozy that it, uh, it gets you fired up for sure if you're the home team. Um, Brandon, last hoops question before we wrap up. Just a quick turning prediction on uh, how many teams you think out of the Big Ten will get into the Big Ten, get into the NCAA tournament? Because I had said before the season that I thought seven was was a safe bet. Scaled it down to six before we restarted Big Ten play here. Now, just with what's happened with Minnesota and Maryland with injuries, I'm scaling it back. To, I'm down to five. I'm I'm thinking Maryland still sneaks in, but outside those top four, I'm not sure that the quality wins are there behind those top four. If you if you talk about Nebraska or or Minnesota, who who is trending down right now? How many teams do you think can can get into the NCAA tournament? Because I think there's four that are on a very solid path right now. Yeah, Purdue, Ohio State, Michigan, Michigan State, and they're incredibly solid right now. One of them would just have to <laughs> absolutely have a train wreck of a finish to to miss out. So those four are safe. Uh, past that, you know, we said cannibaliz- cannibalization is a tough thing in conference, and I think that's what you're going to see from Indiana at 4-2 and two, all the way down to Illinois at 0-6 is a lot of those teams on the five slot on are going to start to beat each other, and there's going to be some so-called upsets in there that maybe hurt some tourney teams. That said, I'm going to say 5-6. to six. I-, I still think 6 is well within the realm of possibility. What will be key is you're going to have – Minnesota hopefully getting Amir Coffee back. You know, I don't know anything about the Reggie Lynch situation. I have no insider information, but assume that he's done. That's obviously a big blow. But with how they played in the second half against Penn State, if they can get Amir Coffee back and get some of those the, the two freshmen going and fired up, I, I think that they still have a chance to be decent and get into the NCAA tournament. They're still 14 and six overall, Minnesota and Maryland. You mentioned Maryland. Maryland's 14 and six too. But I think for teams like that and Nebraska uh, and maybe even a Penn State is going to be key what they do in the Big Ten tournament at Madison Square Garden. It, it just looks so much better for obvious reasons to the, to the tournament committee if you win a game or two in your conference tournament. If you go into that on even playing field, let's say that Minnesota and Maryland go in kind of with neck-and-neck resumes and Maryland stubs their toe in the first round and Minnesota gets to the semis, then that's that bump you need to be on the committee's mind that, hey, they're playing well right now. And I, I so I think that the Big Ten tournament will ultimately separate a couple of those teams that are in the gray area and ultimately decide whether the Big Ten gets five or six. I feel safe at five, four for sure. I feel safe at five. 
hopefully six. Seven would be amazing. If somehow that would happen, seven would be absolutely an amazing year for the Big Ten. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see with the Big Ten tournament. You know, all eyes will be on Big Ten tournament being in New York City a week early. We'll see if that benefit outweighs, you know, maybe a little bit of, of selective amnesia with all the tournaments leading up to Selection Sunday because the Big Ten will be sitting for a week leading up to Selection Sunday and then, you know, does another bubble team go on a run the next week and, and kind of knock the hot Big Ten team out of out of the conversation? It's just, you know, you, you hope subjectivity doesn't come into it, but that's just how some of these things work, it seems like. Yeah, I think you're right. And, look, that can be good or bad, right? I mean, I think that the tournament being a week earlier in the committee's minds could be a good thing, um, depending on how the chips fall. There's two sides to that coin. So I, I ultimately don't think that that is going to matter much. And I do think that the extra week of rest could be good for some of these teams after such a grind during the regular season. I, the coaches are saying, eh, it doesn't really matter one way or the other, and that's the attitude you have to have. But hopefully that extra week of rest will, will prove to be fruitful. Yeah, it's kind of like the idea of Alabama sitting out or not qualifying for the conference championship. You know, they're in a good position. They can't be hurt anymore. Maybe that, that'll happen to a, a Big Ten team that uh, you know wins a couple games and, and – Get to sit back and relax and watch all the other bubble teams knock each other, knock themselves out. So we'll have to see. Um, speaking of the NCAA tournament, though, this is my final question, and it's it's one that uh, has relevance to both of us because I was researching your bio, and it said that you were selected back in college as a junior in 2005 in a contest that you won. Uh, you actually won a trip to the Final Four and had your work featured during halftime of the national championship game in St. Louis. I was there in St. Louis back in 2005, so I want to get your perspective as a college student, what you remember about that Final Four, and a pair of Big Ten teams in Michigan State and Illinois that were there and, and had, had a pair of great squads down, um, down in St. Louis that year. Yeah, man, you did your research. Yeah, I was a junior at Butler at the time in college, and I remember CBS and Pontiac running a promotion called the you call the action game-changing performance, and essentially you could get online and submit you calling the play-by-play of one of the more exciting plays of the tournament. You could pick from, like, ten of them. So I picked a random play from the Sweet 16, and I called a 15-second clip of me calling a game-winning shot, and I submitted it, and I remember somebody from CBS called and said I was in the final 10 and then they called the night of the final four, I think, and said that Greg Gumbel had selected my clip winner and that I could fly with a guest uh, short flight from Indianapolis to St. Louis. I took my brother Brett and uh, that was, that was an experience I'll never forget. The game, I really, it was such a whirlwind and they were taking me around to places that I didn't even, I had to go back and rewatch the game. I'm, obviously I remember North Carolina and Illinois and the players that were involved, but um, it was it was such a, a cool experience, and I felt so spoiled to be able to do that and, and to be up there and at that time in my life be able to meet Dick Enberg, uh, late Dick Enberg now, and Greg Gumbel, and Clark Kellogg was up there. I mean, that was uh, certainly a pinch-me moment that I'll never forget. Yeah, so that, that booming voice you have now, the voice of Madden, must have stood out at, even at a young age. You had that, uh, that talent that... that rose through to, to Greg Gumbel's ears, and it, and it got you a trip to St. Louis. 
Well, I'll never forget what Greg Gumbel told me. He said, I really liked your call, but he said what sold it for me is in the background of my call, I had the tape recorder playing the NCAA tournament theme song that they play on CBS. See, that's a good idea. That's a nice so, touch. That's a nice touch right so there. So I, I was like, I don't even know if this is legal, but I'm going to do it. So I have a music bed of the tournament music, and, and he said that's what he really liked. <laughs> so Everything sounds better with that music in the background. <laughs> that's right. That's right. And, of course, that uh, 2005 championship game is one that still sticks with Illinois fans to this day is, is the one that got away. You know, I, yeah. I was there. I know all too well. Even even as a whatever eleven year old, it was it was uh, definitely a night to remember. But man, that amazing Elite Eight win over Arizona—you'll always have that. Always have that. We always we every year on the anniversary at, here at BTN, we'll get that out on our social platforms. You know, just to give uh, a lot of fans a taste of the glory days. But. Brandon, uh, a lot of great stuff. Really appreciate you sharing your perspective, not only on the Madden, but on all the college hoops you've gotten to see. Definitely want to have you on at some point again, whether that's this season or uh, next season getting into football, because you call those games as well for the Big Ten. So keep up the good work, and thanks for joining me. Absolutely, Alex. Thanks, man. Keep up the great work. All right. All right. Thanks to Brandon for joining me. That was just really cool, first of all, to hear about the process behind making the Madden video games. You know, you realize, you imagine how much work probably goes into that, but now, especially in the area of video games where everything's constantly being updated every week, so you have to be up to date, and they literally fly him in every week to Orlando to update the game, and and he has to have his voice on point for those recordings as well as however many games he does during the week, so... That was really cool to get into, as well as uh, the knowledge that he dropped on the current state of Big Ten basketball. So thanks again to Brandon for coming on. We'll get him on again soon for sure. And now we'll toss it over to BTN in-house researcher Harold Shelton. Always a good time with him. He's become a fairly regular guest on the show, as I mentioned at the top of the show. Uh, he's always good for some insight. Really a cool laid-back dude who's just fun to talk sports with. And he... Uh, does it with the best of them again here coming up on the stat head segment so i uh, won't make you wait any longer we'll get to the buckets breakdown stat head edition with btn researcher harold shelton all right very pleased to be joined by harold shelton once again for another buckets breakdown segment we're in the middle of january h uh, we've taken some lumps as a conference but there's been some surprising teams as well before we get to any breakdowns of, of the teams that have had success recently, you're a Michigan State grad in-house here. You're the BTN researcher and stat head. So I, I want to know, you've watched Michigan State probably closer than anybody. What's wrong with the Spartans? They had a, a pretty rough week, week last week. Yeah, I think uh, they don't really know how to handle success uh, as of yet. I mean, I think the four-game stretch they had, like around the holidays, was kind of like a a false sense of hey we can just score a lot of points against anybody mm-hmm. we don't really have to defend like we uh, you know like our lives depend on it and you saw them give up you know 80 to Ohio State 82 to Michigan and struggle with Rutgers um, I think part of it is that they can't get on the break like they're like they used to in non-conference they were I think the last three games they've averaged seven fast break points per game so the offense is bogged down a lot in the half court, and I think uh, throughout the whole year, when Cassius Winston doesn't play well, they normally struggle. And during this stretch, you know, you 
to had what four turnovers, two assists against Michigan. Was definitely outplayed by Xavier Simpson and C.J. Jackson from Ohio State. So I think it's it's more than just one issue. But luckily, it's January and got a couple months to get ready. Yeah, first of all, let me back up. Where are my manners? I didn't ask you how you're doing. I assume not as <laughs> not as good lately because Michigan State struggled. But how have things been going for you since we last talked? Ah, things are good, man. You know, uh, I'm well rested. I'm ready to go. You know, we're uh, we're not quite at the dog days of the season yet. If you ask me in a couple weeks, I might be, be dragging a little bit. But we're only a third of the way through, so I'm feeling good. All right, so we'll uh, be sure to check up in a couple weeks and see where your your, your head's at. Um, so back to MSU a little bit, just things that I've noticed that have jumped off the, the stat page. You kind of touched on it. They're not getting out on the break as much. That assist rate that was best in the country, which still I think is, is up there you know, the top in the country, but they were assisting on the highest percentage of, of buckets in the entire nation, and then that was just not the case this past week. So why is the ball sticking, do you think? Uh, and I do think it's great that they're very unselfish, but there are a lot of times – where you need a guy to just go make a play. Mm -hmm. And you would like for that to be Miles Bridges, and you see that sometimes. You don't see it consistently. Uh, Josh Langford is a guy who struggles to get his own. Uh, Winston probably should do it more, but he's more of a pass-first guy than a shooter. Uh, Teams have taken Nick Ward away, and he's not a great pass rider to post, so when he faces double teams – it's usually, you know, a possession that winds up, you know, being passed back out with no other option or it's a turnover. So I think the fact that they're not getting, they're not moving the ball around a lot, it's a lot of just dribbling, not great screening, and it just winds up being a lot of empty possessions because of that. All right, so I've been asking a couple of shows if I'm worried about Michigan State or what's wrong with them, and I've said I'm not worried. I think this is more of a, a, a dip, you know, that happens naturally, especially for a young team. So, I don't want to look stupid, so tell me, are you worried? Are you, you know the team better than I do. Are you worried about them going forward? I wouldn't say worried, but I do think there are warning signs. Um, for as athletic and as big as they are, they aren't a great defensive rebounding team, which is kind of surprising. Um, I know that's kind of been Izzo's hallmark. has always been a good rebounding team. But, you know, Rutgers, Ohio State, and Michigan have kind of out-toughed them. I don't know if that's something that gets better over the next two months or not. Um, they just need they need a, a guy or two that's just going to rally the troops, that's just going to get in somebody's face and say, hey, look, it's time to go. Let's rally. I don't know if they have that. I think talent-wise they could overcome it uh, more often than not. But in a one-game knockout situation like the tournament, you're going to need a leader to step up and say, hey, look, we need to get the stop. Or, hey, give me the ball that we're going to get a bucket. And I don't know if they have that. All right, we'll see how they respond here going forward. We'll move on to a team that's not really struggling at all. As we speak right now, recording this on Tuesday night, Purdue's putting a beat down on Wisconsin. Purdue has won, what is it, 13 in a row? 14? They haven't lost since Thanksgiving. It's been a huge winning streak. They climbed to number three in the country. So the advanced metrics say Purdue probably deserves that ranking. How good do you think Purdue is? Like, When's the last time? They're just so solid. So when's the last time you've seen a team that's so good at getting – good shots and so effective at just playing solid basketball on both ends of the floor. This is the advantage of a team that's played together for three or four years. Uh, I mean, outside of Carson Edwards, that team is full of juniors and seniors, and even Carson Edwards last year was a starter pretty much the whole season. So it's a nucleus that returned pretty much everybody but Biggie. 
Uh, they play faster now, they uh, so they get easier shots in transition. Um, a lot of times last year it would just be through Biggie in the post and everything would kind of go through the post. Now Vince Edwards can just go get his, Carson Edwards can go get his. They play a more free-flowing style. They've uh, Swanigan, as great as he was, he could turn the ball over a lot, which would lead to runouts for the other team. They don't have that now, so they've cut down on turnovers. And it makes it even harder for teams to score against a team that's so tall and so long on the wing with Matthias and Vince Edwards. Yeah, they're just so efficient at getting those good shots. Like you said, they swing it around. They've got shooters on, on the wings and, yep. and Matthias and Klein. When those shots aren't there, if teams want to overplay, they can dump it down to Haas or Harms. Yep. I mean, those guys. Edwards is kind of their do-it-all guy. Vince Edwards, that is. And then Carson's out there running the show. And P.J. Thompson doesn't turn P. it over. Thompson's really effective as well. Are, they, are there any weaknesses on this team? Or is it is it if they lose, it's going to be just like what happened to them in the Bahamas where you know maybe a team's a little more athletic or they just don't show up one night? Is there any weakness in this Purdue team? Uh, I don't know about weakness. I, I'll say this. And I think Mike DeCourcy said this on Beyond the other day. Uh, coming into this season, I didn't know if Purdue was national title good. I thought they could be Final Four good. But if you look across the country, there's so many inconsistent teams mm-hmm. out there. You kind of know what you're going to get from Purdue every night. They can bring, they'll probably bring no worse than a B effort every night. And their A effort is a lot better than a lot of teams' mm-hmm. A efforts because they have size – They've got athletic. They got some athleticism. They got a lot of shooters. The only team in the country in the top ten of offensive and defensive efficiency. So I mean, they're clearly doing something right, and they're the favorite to win the league, in my opinion. Yeah, I've been saying it for a little while now. I got, just kind of agreeing with with that point that this is a good year for Purdue to be having a year like this because, like you said, college basketball in general doesn't seem to have any dominant teams that can overwhelm a Purdue either athletically or just pure skill wise. So I think. Like you said, if, if as long as Purdue brings that consistency to March, they should be in good shape. Yeah, especially um, with a high seed. Exactly. So we will uh, move on now to a couple other teams that have kind of separated themselves from the rest of the pack. It, it seems pretty clear that, you know, we knew Michigan State and Purdue would be good coming in, but Ohio State and Michigan have kind of ascended into that top tier as well in these last couple of weeks. So we'll start with Ohio State because this is a team that I don't think many expected to be this good or even really much of anything this year at all as they looked at it apparent rebuild on Chris Holtman's first year. So big facilitator for them is Keita Bates-Diop, their redshirt junior. He's leading the league in scoring. He's up there in rebounds per game. And his offensive rating efficiency is off the charts, and it's actually getting better as we as we move into conference play, which I think is really rare that you know usually a player feasts on some bums and then it falls back to earth in conference play. He's gotten better. So is Bates Diop a guy that with the pieces that Ohio State has around Bates Diop, can he carry them to to some success in March? Do you think this is going to keep going throughout the rest of the season until we get to the Big Ten tournament? Because Ohio State, you look at their schedule, it's really favorable. Yeah. When we looked at the schedule after they beat, Ohio, after they beat Michigan State uh, last Sunday, I looked and I, th- I thought they could go undefeated all the way through January and they can be – you know, fully in the race going mm-hmm. into February. And I don't think anybody would have said that, uh, you know, before the season no or chance. even uh, in December. But obviously, K-to-base Diop's a big reason. Good teams know how to put games away or create space at the start and end of halves. 
And if you look at what they did against Michigan State, what they did against Maryland, what they did against Rutgers, and even Michigan when they were down 20, they closed the first half strong, and then they would either put the game away in the case of their last three opponents or finish the comeback against Michigan in those first four or five minutes. I mean, they've taken essentially seven minutes of basketball and have just completely blown teams off the floor. And I think that's great coaching. I think that's guys knowing the situation, knowing what they need to do. They play within themselves. They don't try to do stuff that's outside of their comfort zone. I think they have some addition by subtraction with some of the guys that they lost last year. Now you know the ball should be going to base the op. It goes to Jay Sean Tate, mm-hmm. C.J. Jackson. There aren't as many wasted possessions, aren't as many bad shots. Yeah, I was going to bring that up. I think Jay Sean Tate, I mean, we know he's good, but you mentioned a guy like C.J. Jackson, Cam Williams, Weston down low. They're kind of filling those roles better than Jaquan Lyle and Mark Loving, guys last year, where it was just kind of, you know, you had good players, but it didn't really flow last season and in the last couple of seasons. So, yeah, I think it's a uh, formula for success for them. Mm-hmm. Let's talk a little Michigan before uh, wrapping up with one final question. Michigan's had some close calls go both ways. They almost beat Purdue. They almost gave Purdue their first Big Ten loss. Almost got beat Monday night uh, against Maryland. But they're another team I think is exceeding expectations. They've outperformed my expectations for them. What do you think their realistic ceiling is? Do you think it's a run like we saw last year where they can win a Big Ten tournament, make the Sweet 16, or – do you think that they are playing over their heads right now? Because I, I think this is just a trademark beeline team where the team improves as they go along. I don't see any reason why they couldn't keep this thing going. Yeah, I, similar to Michigan State, like Michigan teams under beeline get better. Right. And I don't know how many people actually appreciate that. They're always a tough out in March, and the way that he coaches, that style, especially on a one-day turnaround, is really hard to, to deal with. And we saw that last uh, year with Louisville. Yep. You know, you get a guy like Mo Wagner who can step out, who can drive and create. They're they're more athletic on the wing this year with Matthews and Isaiah Livers and Jordan Pools of the world. I think they they could have an issue late in games. It's hard to put Xavier Simpson on the floor as we've seen. He struggles from the free throw line mm-hmm. and he's their primary ball handler. So that almost cost him the Maryland game. It almost allowed Michigan State to get back into the game. So that's something to look for uh, going forward. But their biggest thing with Michigan this year is they defend. In the past, you, you know, B-line teams were so efficient offensively. But defensively, they're able to stay in games until that offense is able to catch up. All right. So we got those top four kind of separated themselves, like I said. I think those four are, unless catastrophe hits, so they'll probably all four make the NCAA tournament. Right now, it's kind of hard to look at, at the rest of the pack and identify a clear team or two that'll also get in that should sneak in for the Big Ten. Who would you say right now is your next in line outside of those top four teams that has a good shot at the NCAA tournament? Because you look at a cluster. I mean, Minnesota looked like preseason they would be easily an NCAA tournament team, and and, and uh, adversity has hit them to say the least. Nebraska. With the start they got off to the season, they look maybe poised to, to go on a run. They still maybe could. Not sure um, if they'll have the quality wins to, to pad that resume, but we'll see. And then there's Maryland, who got off to, you know, kind of like they generally do, a stack a lot of wins, kind of missing a signature win. And then Justin Jackson, one of their best players, goes down, and they lose some interior depth as well with even Bender. So 
out of that kind of middle of the pack, or Penn State even, you know, Penn State's got, I think, NCAA tournament talent. They just haven't been able to put it together. Out of that kind of cluster in the middle, which team do you think is most likely to emerge and at least threaten for a bit in the NCAA tournament? Uh, I would say that's probably Maryland uh, if I had to pick. If it was just based on talent, I would probably go Penn State, but I think Maryland will do just enough to get in. I think they got a talented backcourt with Cowan and Herter. Uh, Bruno Fernando up front can really play. They, Like you said, the signature win, if they could have got that win last night, it would have certainly helped their cause. Against They're, Michigan, yeah. Against Michigan. They're just kind of holding their hat on the Butler win they had earlier in the year. They don't really have a bad loss. If they can avoid bad losses and just make sure you know you don't lose to the Rutgers or the Iowas of the world, then they'll probably be fine. But I would say they probably need 11 wins in conference play, maybe 12, uh, to feel safe. Yeah, I just remember last year the bubble just being so soft. And, and really, if you just did what you're supposed to do, you had a pretty good shot exactly. to get in the tournament. you got to so. get 68 teams. Right. I can't see it being much different this year. I don't think there's any – unless some serious bids get stolen in, in, in the, uh, the conference tournaments. I agree that I think Maryland probably has a better shot than – people might think at this point Mm -hmm. all right so we'll see how it shakes out we'll catch up either next week or the week after that once again always good to have you and maybe the next time we talk your spartans will pick it up a little bit hope so that would be nice always good to be back all right man all right thanks once again to harold and brandon for joining me a lot of good stuff from those guys as we keep moving here through big 10 basketball season and one final reminder if you haven't already and you need some more Big Ten basketball podcast or knowledge injected straight into your your veins, be sure to subscribe to Andy Katz's Big Ten basketball podcast because he does a podcast for us during basketball season for BTN that is strictly Big Ten basketball where he gets unbelievable guests. He gets players in season, coaches in season. Sometimes we'll talk to trainers or people around the programs in the Big Ten and, and it's a lot of really inside stuff that really only Andy Katz could pull off. So subscribe to that is the b1g basketball podcast andy's doing for us make sure you check that out as well if you haven't already and uh yeah we'll continue to pump out some good stuff here at the uh, digital media department at big t btn on our podcast network so uh one more time thanks to everyone out there for listening thanks to wes white as always for producing and we'll talk to you next week here on the take 10 podcast